<laughs> Thanks for helping. Good job. We're putting you on a box next time so we can see you. Put you up in the air some more. We should do that next time. Put her up in the air so we can see her. Yeah, exactly. All right. How fun was that? Now, these songs, Rob has written the songs. By the way, if you're feeling a little cramped, there's now some space over here. All the kiddos were kind of filling that, but you're welcome to migrate, be migratory, and go over to the left. There's plenty of room over there. Rob wrote these songs for the event. Yeah, give Rob a big hand. Why not? Which is great. And then our own Steve May, the uh, bass player, uh, actually professionally puts videos together for Vail Resorts, so he's done these amazing videos, so that's great. We can applaud for Steve, too. I don't know if he hears it, but there he is. Anyways, it's a lot of fun. This is, of course, trying to connect and build us across through the season of Advent and then getting to Christmas Eve and considering, like, what, is, what are all these aspects of Advent from the perspective of a child, like a child, consider that. Now, I'm going to ask you this. What did you experience right there in those last couple minutes, in the video and in the song? Did you experience joy or did you experience happiness? Right? That's a cop-out answer, but I'll take it. And did you... Can you tell the difference? See, this is a really intriguing thing, I think, that's a part of our, our story as Christians, is that we have these experiences, and we talk about things. Words, of course, even change their meanings as time go along. They're not always the same forever and ever. Um, the background of the different words is, is pretty fascinating. For sure, in the Bible, you know the, the word joy is in the Bible. It's the same root word as the word for grace. It's also the same root word that is, becomes the word for thanksgiving. It's interesting that it's connected that way. But I, I'm going to ask us to consider this, because last week we talked about hope, and of course we have misperceptions of hope. We think hope is, oh, I hope I get a new Nintendo for Christmas, and actually real hope is far more trustworthy than that. And with joy, I'm afraid that we consider joy, and we get it confused with happiness, and we do the thing that I will always complain about, having been a youth pastor for a lot of years, and that is the posture of the parents who say, I just want my child to be happy. I'm going to tell you, no, you don't. You want far more than that, because if they're dependent on happiness to flourish, they got real problems, real problems. There's a lot more going on. Now, in the way of joy, there's definitions. Merriam-Webster, listen to these words. It's an emotion that's evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune by the prospect of possessing what one desires or delight. I already have major rebuttal points with this about joy, but that's what they say that it means. Maybe it's a cultural thing. It's the expression of that emotion, like gaiety, a state of happiness, bliss, a source or the cause of such things. Synonyms, listen to these synonyms. Pleasure, jubilation, triumph, exaltation, happiness, 
gladness. Do you really consider joy and happiness to be synonyms? That's what they say. Exuberance, elation, euphoria, bliss, ecstasy, rapture, enjoyment, felicity. I use that one often, felicity. Uh, Thrill. Now listen what the antonyms, the opposite words are. Sorrow. Misery. Trials. Is this get at the point of what joy is about? Especially when we consider it from God's perspective, when we consider what was happening in the first story of the first advent. What is it in Scripture when God is talking about joy? And is it all of this? Emotions, elation, enjoyment, and the opposite is sorrow. How many of you saw the movie a couple of years ago? It was about this time, it was about three years ago, the movie Inside Out. It was a Pixar, you know, good, several of you saw it. If you haven't seen it, you should see it because it's very insightful into what our culture believes is happening in the mind and in the development of a person. It's about a character who is just entering adolescence. And she's trying to figure out how to navigate things. She's got five uh, basic emotions that are part of her story. Does anybody remember what's the most important one, the main character? Joy is the main character, but sadness is the second most important character. But you're right that sadness is actually the emotion that provides the solution at the end of the movie. You're exactly right. I'll get back to sadness in a second. Joy is the yellow emotion. Joy is the star. Joy is, Amy Poehler is the person who acts and does the voice. They asked her about it, and she's like, joy is the engine that drives everything. She's the one that pulls everything together. But interestingly, she said, even though she's the most positive, in many ways, she's the least flexible Isn't that interesting? She says, as long as Riley, the character, stays happy, joy is happy. But if if that that happiness ever wanes, joy has got to get to work to try to produce a solution to get her back to happiness. Is that really what life is about? Is that what we want our children to experience? Is that what we want our adolescents to experience? Is that what we want our young adults to experience? Is that what we want our 90-somethings to experience? Now, sadness is the second most important character just because of screen time. Sadness doesn't, is not as prominent of a place. Sadness is always kind of a downer, always feels kind of depressive, um, Interestingly, in the bio, in the description, sadness is supposed to represent the voice of reason. Have you thought about that before? Do you think reason is actually the place that takes you to depression? (laughs) Wow. This was the design. And sometimes the only thing that's really the best thing to do is just sit down and have a good cry. That was the point of this character. But at the end of the movie, here's what's really interesting, because Joy is trying to help the character. These are, these are the emotions inside as well as disgust and anger and fear. And they're inside and helping the character try to navigate life. And as the character develops into adolescence and starts having abstract thought, it's actually a whole region in the movie, 
and trying to apply understanding to abstract thought. Joy realizes that sadness has to provide a contrast to joy. Otherwise, it's all just happy thoughts and it doesn't mean anything. It's a fascinating thing. That's not too far away from what I think God has in mind. Let's ask ourselves some questions. First of all, how much of a distinction? I'm going to ask this next question based on the distinction between joy and happiness. Which one is a subset of the other? Is happiness a subset of joy, or is joy a subset of happiness? Or does that even work that way? It's worth finding out. If I was going to uh, suggest a book to you to study about joy and rejoicing from the New Testament, which one would you pick? You could say James. I'm not going to study James. Sorry, ain't going to happen. But James starts right off at the beginning of the book and says, consider it all joy when you fall into what? All kinds of diverse and uh, struggles, trials, difficulties. That's his first sentence. But what we're going to look at is the famous book that most everybody thinks the theme is joy, and that's Philippians. If you have a Bible, turn in your Bible, go get your one in your iPad or your iPhone. I happen to have one on my iPhone or my iPad here. And we're going to put it up on the screen uh, so you can follow along. This is the NIV that's the same as those Pew Bibles. But we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 and see if we can't get a little more understanding below. What's the foundation of joy? I think if we can access the foundation of joy, it will help us actually understand the contrast between joy and happiness a little more thoroughly. Okay, The New Testament view is very interesting. It doesn't show up a bunch of times. Joy, the word shows up 75 times in the New Testament, which may sound like a lot, but compared to love and to grace and to faith, those show up like hundreds of times in the New Testament. Joy doesn't show up that much. Rejoice only shows up 36 times. Six of them are in the book of Philippians, that tiny little letter. So there's something going on that is related to an understanding of this that we can access, but it's not as prominent of a thing in the New Testament as you'd like to think. Now, the contrast that, that the movie, the Pixar movie, placed is that the opposite of joy is sadness or sorrow. I'm going to propose that the Scripture gives a different opposite than that. When you look through Scripture and study all those times that it shows up in the New Testament, there's a very interesting pattern that occurs. Something goes on that produces a lot of fear. Someone gets an announcement from an angel. How many of you have gotten an announcement directly from an angel? Anybody gotten that? No. Okay, would it freak you out and make you afraid a little bit? Yes, I promise you that would happen. Something like that happens. There's a discussion about uh, trials and difficulties, persecution, struggle. This happens all the way through. Jesus tells his parables about the lost things being found. And immediately following, the concept of joy shows up in the wake of the concept of fear. I think, if we see what Scripture says, joy is actually the opposite of fear, not of sorrow and sadness. 
That's what the Bible wants to teach us about this. The contrast is there. Now, you've been wondering, why am I carrying this thing around, right? Um, What does this remind anybody of? Baby boomer uh, peanuts, right? That was the point. You remember the movie, the Christmas, the great Christmas movie, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas? Uh, How many of you have seen that? Oh, good. It's not just baby boomers. That makes me feel better, too. So in the movie, one of the bits that runs through the whole movie is they can never get the blanket away from Linus. Linus is like, he will not go anywhere without it. It's nasty. It's smelly. It's like gross. It's like everything else. You can't separate Linus from his blanket. Why? It's his security item. It helps him with fear. It provides a sense of calmness, and I'm okay, right? Do you know there's one place in the movie where he has held this through the whole movie, and he drops the blanket? Do you know where that is? You get 50,000 extra points for your team, if you know that. When he quotes Luke 2 on the stage, Charlie Brown frustratingly, why can't anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus says, I can tell you, Charlie Brown. He walks out and he starts into the Luke 2, 8 through 14 or 15. And as he gets to the place where the angel makes the announcement and the angel says, do not be afraid, Linus drops his blanket. It's significant. Then at the end, he takes it and he goes over and he wraps it around the base of the Christmas tree. He has let go of the blanket. The fear is no longer needing a blanket for solution anymore. And it's when he tells the story from the angel to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to flip over there. Flip over here. See what I did there? Yeah, okay, thanks. Now at the very beginning here of this letter... There's some interesting clues right out of the gate. I want you to be listening for the foundation of joy itself, the foundation. Paul and Timothy, servants, actually the word is slaves of Jesus Christ. How many times does Paul include Timothy in his intro as a slave of Jesus Christ? This is the only time in the New Testament it shows up. Something is different. There's a signal right out of the gate. Then he says, to all God's holy people. There are three words in Greek, pas, pasapan. They sound just like that. They're very, uh, they, they sound great in sentences. Those words are all, every, each, a complete, a, a, an inclusional bunch of. If we were in the South, it would be all y'all, right? That's how it would be said. Paul drops so many pas, passes and pons into this letter that literally the, the commentators are like, it's almost, it's almost like he wasn't even paying any attention because he puts all, inclusively, all the way through. And listen here, I bet you'll hear a few of them. To all of the holy people, together with the overseers and the deacons, this is the only place he signals them out, and he's not doing it to raise them above, it's to actually say, hey, you guys, overseers and deacons, what does Paul leave out here that he always puts in his letter? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It doesn't show up in here. Paul is trying to say, there's not a big hierarchy distinction between you and me 
in this letter. It's all y'all and all us. Timothy, the deacons, all of us are in this thing together. Listen to what he says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Standard line then. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all y'all. I always pray with joy. Did he forget what he was putting in there? No. This is an inclusive sense, and joy is an outcome. Let's find out why. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Verse 5, first time shows up the word, you may have heard koinonia. It's the Greek word for fellowship, for community, for communion together, for co-working, for we're in this thing as a mutual group. It's got egalitarian ideas to it. It's got a sense of we invest together in this. Paul's not trying to emphasize, I'm the boss and I'm telling you how to do church. Paul is trying to say, you guys are co-laborers, workers. We are mutual investors in this thing together. That's what Paul is emphasizing. We're doing this together. From the first day till now, I'm trusting God to carry that on to completion until Christ comes back. He's still waiting for that. So are we. It's right for me to feel this way about all y'all since I have all y'all in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming, very legal terms. Why? What's Paul's circumstance right here? Who knows it? Yeah, he's in prison. Actually, he's probably chained to a live guard in the compound of the emperor, Nero. And he is in Rome, and he is waiting trial to defend what he has done that is worthy of his death. And you know what he has done that's worthy of his death? He's preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we're in this together. All y'all share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all y'all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You hear the mutuality Hear the commonality. This is my prayer that your love will abound more and more. You'll have knowledge, insight. You'll discern what's best. You'll be pure and blameless. You'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want you to know what has happened has come to advance the gospel, verse 12. As a result, the whole palace guard knows about why I'm here. Why? Because Paul told them. And... Because of that, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they proclaim the gospel too. Do you hear the sense of we're all doing this together? It's true that some do it out of envy and rivalry. I'm okay with that. Some do it out of goodwill. No matter what, in the defense of the gospel, this is going on. But look at verse 18. What does it matter? When was the last time you met somebody who was accused of something that's not illegal, was being treated terribly for it, was actually not only in in fear of being punished for it, but probably losing their life. By the way, that happened to Paul not long after this. They beheaded him. And then that person says, but justice doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
one of you ever met anybody who's like that, especially in 21st century America. It's all about justice. It's all about bringing people. It doesn't matter if they did something wrong 120 years ago. We got to drag it up and we got to bring it out here and justice must be served. Paul is like, this is not about justice. In fact, you can chase that trail all you want. You may get some happiness out of it. You may get some sense of satisfaction. You may win on your principle. You may get, you know, some sense of, hey, so I was right and that guy was wrong. That will last you about five minutes. This is different. This is whatever goes on right here. We're all in this together. And no matter what, it doesn't matter the circumstances. The important thing, verse 18, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I do what? I rejoice. You hear the depth? This isn't because of this, I'm happy. This is because of this, I've got something going on that cannot be removed. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice because I know that through all y'all's prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for deliverance. I'll have sufficient courage. It will be a fruitful labor, verse 22. Verse 25, you, uh, I know that I'll continue in this and your progress will continue and you will grow in joy in the faith. You hear these outcomes? And verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're in this together. Then, whether I'm there with you or absent, it doesn't matter because I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without what? Without being frightened. Anybody can have moments, but how do you have this mindset? How do you have this posture? This is joy. And Paul could even go so far later in the letter to say, first of all, we learn this from Jesus. Jesus came, became one of us, gave up everything. Jesus was not treated with justice. He didn't demand justice. His happiness, his joy, didn't depend on justice. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, because of the joy that was actually uh, laying on the other side of his life, Jesus embraced his sacrifice. It's unbelievable depth underneath and the foundation piece if you didn't pick it up going through there in mine is all colored in blue and that is partnership together doing this all all y'all all of us we that's the foundation the foundation is healthy relationship i'm going to ask us to consider just a couple of things here as we kind of uh, think, like, what did we just learn? First of all, joy is based on meaningful, healthy, co-laboring relationships. 
This time of season, you know what we tend to like to do? We tend to give things to try to fill a gap. We give away gifts, or we give to a charity because it's somehow kind of leveling the playing field. It makes us feel happy, so we do that. And often, that's an okay thing, and I'm not saying that's even a a wrong thing, because it never tells us that that is wrong. But if you think that's where joy is sourced, you're misunderstanding, because joy is built on the platform of we're in this mutually invested together in this. This is not a one-way street, me kind of pouring stuff into your bucket. This is, we have invested in this, and we're, if it works, we all gain from it. And if it sinks, we all go to the bottom. But we're in it together. That's a difference. Joy is built in those partnering relationships. It's in, it includes emotions. It includes realities and evaluations. But it's not based on emotions. It's based on something far deeper. Let me use this example, the example of a newborn child. What does a newborn child bring to the equation? Do they bring joy or happiness? The right answer is both, by the way, Molly. So that was <laughs> they do, right? But what is profound about a new, new child in the family? It's the sense of the potential of the relationship. It's the long haul. It's doing life together. It's us. It's all y'all. That's what makes the difference. That's why joy comes with a newborn. It's not just because they do silly things and, and, you know, whatever, say crazy things. They do that, and that brings happiness, but it's the joy that's so profound. Now, with happiness, happiness is based on pleasant experiences, It's a result of happenings. You have almost no way to control happiness, but it happens. And it's good. God's not trying to say one is good, the other is bad. That's not the idea. That's not the point of the book of Philippians. But if you really want, if you want to consider the subset, if you really want to enjoy happiness, joy should be there underneath based in the foundation of good relationships with people. Now happiness matters. This is the theology of fun. When we're talking about like fun, what does fun matter? Well, fun matters, it does. But you hear people connect fun with their passions and say literally like, I have to to experience a worthy, flourishing, valuable life. I have to go get some more adrenaline rush. You're completely missing the point. You will chase that and chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it. It is, when, it, when it's valuable is when there's the foundations that are underneath. You're like, wow. Stop and think about addictions for a minute. How many addictions come in happiness-based things? Because we experience something. It may be something as profound as orgasm. It may be something as small as chocolate. Isn't that what one of the little girls said? Chocolate. And, and you, you say, well, I am so interested in that that I keep pursuing that. And honestly, you 
pursue it, pursue it, and pursue it, because, and it becomes an addiction because it's like, I've got to have more and more and more. It never satisfies. It never fulfills. Who is addicted to a healthy relationship? Nobody's addicted to a healthy relationship. You're addicted to unhealthy relationships, unhealthy work patterns, unhealthy play, unhealthy whatever. And that's what happened. We've got to have this foundation right. And that's how Paul could look the Philippians in the eye and say what he did. Now, because we're considering this from kids... And the, and the joy and uh, like a child. How capable are children of experiencing true joy? That's a tricky question. I'm not even going to ask Melanie to answer that one. This one is tough because I think there's a sense of purity and simplicity in childlike capacity to enjoy things that takes it into a category of joy. But do they have the capacity to go into the depth and actually connect the sense of reality in abstract thought? They don't even have the capacity. True joy is an adult experience. And by the way, it's what every single one of you and I are desperate for in life. We're desperate for joy. That sense of True, not just relief like, oh, I got enough stuff in me that I can't feel the pain anymore. It's right in the middle of the pain. You right now are sorting through in your mind because you know people that you have experienced that have this capacity. It actually lends itself into peace that Stefan's going to talk about next week. There's something there that you know. The circumstances don't equal the result that you see, and yet they are experiencing something that is so admirable, that's so respectable, that's so... You long for that for you and for them because it's joy. So so what? (laughs) So here's some suggestions. First of all, enjoy happiness, but never let it replace or be at the expense of joy. If you're pursuing too much happiness that you can't even build these partnerships that really matter because you've got to have more happiness, got to have more happiness, you're going to chase it and chase it. Never catch it. Second of all, invest in partnerships not just as givebacks or just somehow to be good to the community. Invest. Find people with whom you can work together in life. The difference between just a great experience that's kind of fun and a sense of teamwork. Teamwork is what's really appealing in activities that are fun but like required. I was listening to Hugh Knight, who played the drums up here, learned a lot about sailing this summer with Tim Sealing. The teamwork thing was the thing that always kept coming up when he was telling me about the experience, was the two of them working together on things. And the third thing is this, rejoice, as Paul suggested, in a strong way, with an imperative, as Paul says, rejoice in what things drive us together, even if it's pain and suffering. And here's where it gets to Advent. Just imagine a teenage girl 
in that shame-honor culture who is pregnant and had made no bad decisions to get there. You realize she's, her situation is worthy of death. You realize that. Is that a happy place? No chance. You know who she finds? She goes and finds her cousin, who's also pregnant, in about the same miraculous way. They look each other in the eye, and you hear them sing. They embrace each other. They do it together. They have partnership. God, it was not a mistake on God's part or an afterthought. Oh, hey, that was a good idea. No, it was together they went through the two hardest pregnancies in the history of the world, John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. They did it together. That's where the joy comes from. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, consider your words to us through the Apostle Paul. We consider this season that gives us so much insight and understanding. It's so good for us to review peace and hope and faith and joy and love um, with a thorough sense. Help us to sort out the difference. Help us to lean into partnerships and to experience joy. And we offer ourselves to you. We continue now in a sense of offering. This is an opportunity for us to give back in partnership with you. You've chosen to use our time, our resources, our dollars to accomplish your work. So we give back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.